Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Well, I think we've decanted for long enough. It's time to sit back and enjoy Two Sharp Reds with Mark Schwarzer and Ollie Geel. Yes, it certainly is. It's time for another episode of the Two Sharp Reds with myself and Hannah Schwarzer. We like to try a new bottle of the Burgundy Grape and then compare it to a player past or present. And you might be listening to this thinking, gee, Ollie's got a bit of a bit of a spring in his step today. And I'm looking at you, Mark. I'm happy. Do you know why that would be? It's a big day. It's a big day, Monday. Yeah. No, no word, mate. No, I can't, just can't think of it. What, what it, is it? it? I mean, it could be loads of things. It could be because it's just the day that we had to do the podcast and that's obviously, you know, the happiest day of my week. But it's the day that Melbourne and Victoria has recorded zero cases of COVID-19 for the first time. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yes. Absolutely brilliant. Zero. Brilliant. Cases they were in the thousands a day mark at once, not that long ago, and then we're at zero. And after Richmond just won the grand final, Storm won the NRL, the Vixens won the netball. You'd be thinking Melbourne's, you know, I applaud them, they've done well, very well. Were any of those winners uh, a bit of a surprise to you? I don't know anything about the NRL. Um, the Vixens was was pretty standard, and Tigers. Not a surprise at all. Right. I don't know about the Storm. I'm not across that. I mean, the Storm have traditionally always been a very good side. So yeah. I haven't actually been following it. I'm a West Tigers fan. Um, but uh, I haven't been following it for, for a while now. Um, every now and then I look out for the West Tigers, but that's about it. They played Penrith. Is that nearby? West, that's actually home? nearby where I grew up. So that's the closest team to where I grew up. I should be a Penrith Panthers wow. fan. Um, and, and they are kind of – I do have a soft spot for them, definitely. Well, as I said, a big congratulations to Melbourne or all those three uh, sporting teams based in Melbourne. So in celebration, um, I've also taken a line out of the Premier Dan Andrews said today, well, the journalist said in her first question, are you saying we can finally get back on the beers? And he answered with, I'm not sure I'll have a beer tonight. I think I might be having something higher up the shelf. So in celebration of that, I've gone something up slightly higher up the shelf as well. It's something that's been on my wine rack uh, since I moved here and um, it's a uh, Victorian wine of course it's uh, a Rufus Stone Heathcote uh, deep rich red and crimson in colour indicates the intensity of the wine the nose is full of ripe plum and dark cherries with a hint of white pepper and sweet vanillion uh, the flavours carry on to the palate which is full of a big soft fruit but balanced by an elegant oak structure and natural acid resulting in a rich wine with a complex and fresh structure. So obviously when we get to comparing this wine to a player, past or present, there's plenty to talk about. But this is, uh, I think it's an appropriate wine uh, to celebrate Victoria's news. Very nice. Very good, mate. Well done. Um, well, I've gone for, I've, I've gone a bit different this week. So I've left the Spanish wines to one side. I've, I've pretty much um, 
gone finished hard. You've finished stuff. them all, haven't you? That's, that's no, I haven't. No, no, no. I've got a big supply, mate. I've still got loads to get through. Um, but I've gone French this week. Oh, um, suck that. The Cabelli, 2017 paid yuck. Yeah. And it looks a really cool bottle of wine. It looks expensive. It does, doesn't it? I was going to say gold label. I mean, that's... Yeah, that's the thing, yeah. you know. Um, it is, it is a, 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 an anniversary wine, so it's a 10th, um, a vintage, a 10th vintage. So to celebrate its 10th vintage, they produce this bottle of wine. Um, and it is uh, richly coloured richly colored wine, has exceptional elegance and complexity despite its youth. The nose and palate display delicious bright cherry, raspberry, and blackcurrant. The palate is full and silky with a long, ripe finish. Wow. So, yes. It's going to be tough for you to try and pick a player you've played with with exceptional elegance, but, you know, it'll be good to see who you go for. It's always a first time, isn't there, really? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, Mark, let's get stuck into the football. Normally, we start with the earlier game on either a Friday or a Saturday, and this segment I really do think should be called the humble pie segment for both you and I, because um, it's time we both eat, had a serious slice. Because uh, I want to talk about Villa and Leeds. And Leeds, um, yeah, talk about humble pie. The, the wham, bam, thank you, Bamford, that I've been delivering, you know, consistently week in, week out for Patrick Bamford needs to be stopped. And Meslier uh, has been criticised on this podcast and he was exceptional again. Uh, I think it's the, the humble pie episode. Or the humble pie segment, Mark. Well, well, definitely for you anyway, because I'm I'm a fan of Patrick Bamford. I know he hasn't always delivered, and interestingly, this he was exceptional. The, the the second and third goals, have you seen them? Yeah, mate. Sensational, absolutely sensational. Um, particularly the third. I mean, the, the second one, the strike is sublime. A little backlift, keeper has no chance. Martinez, you can't see it until late, and by then it's in the back of the net. And the third one, I mean, just the control. Elegance. Um, Look out. Do I even need to go any further? No, well, but also the way he opened his body looked almost unnatural, but that's obviously what gave it its, you know, the power and precision. Yeah, no, it was. It was brilliant. And, you know, I, I also said at the beginning of the season when I gave him predictions that I felt that uh, Villa were going to be one of the teams that get relegated. So, I mean, listen... On the performance against Leeds, you could say maybe. I mean, I know that they had a chance, um, they had a couple of chances, you know, um, to score. They had one clear off the line. Um, and, and you know what? I don't know necessarily, was it a true reflection of the game? Probably. I mean, Leeds were very, very good. And I think this may, this is a defining, already a, a very critical moment for Villa because it depends on how they respond to it. They've lost against a team that's been newly promoted, albeit a lead side who have been. Very, very good since they've, they've been promoted. Um, and it's now depends on what Villa do. Do they respond positively? Do they go back to winning ways? Do they continue the momentum? Or do they hit a bit of a roadblock already at this early stage of the season? The reality sets in. And maybe they're nowhere near as good as everyone was. Well, maybe they thought themselves for a little bit. Well, how far into a season do you think is fair to actually determine your thoughts on a team like that? Do, you, do we need to see at least 10, 15 games before you can feel comfortable we know what sort of a season they're going to have. It's funny, you know, because there's, generally speaking, I would say yes. You, you, you only, you know, 10, 15 games in, you can tell. Some teams, I think you can tell quite early. Um, 
in the case of West Brom and Fulham, unfortunately, I, I, I think it's already the case that literally, literally, you know, 20th and 19th is already settled. Um, and really that 18th spot is the one that's, uh, that's up for grabs in terms of um, if you're the, you're the, uh, the, the unlucky one to, to, to reach the 18th position, as we say. Um, so I, I think there are some exceptions. Southampton a couple, uh, last season was an exception to the rule because, you know, after that 9-0 defeat to Leicester, you're thinking, that's it. There's no way they're going to recover from that, particularly also after they kept hold of Ralph Hasenhudel, they were dire. Um, you just thought, this is not going to happen. But they turned it around. So sometimes there's an exception. And generally, there's, I don't think there's any time where you normally go, those three teams are definitely going down. When we do the predictions at the beginning of the season, right, you go, oh, who are you predicting to go down? I said, Fulham West Brom. And I said, mm, and it was a toss-up. I was wondering about Sheffield United. I actually had Sheffield United first on my list. And then I rubbed it out and put Aston Villa. Um, so maybe that was one I got wrong because Sheffield United, even though I thought they were very good against Liverpool on the weekend, you know, going to add for playing against Liverpool, most teams are able to lift and put in a good performance, particularly against teams like that. But I think it's more about their work rate and their commitment that, that impresses me. Um, but they have had a bad start over there. When you said that about Aston Villa, though, how far into the transfer window do you think were they? Because they progressively got better throughout that window, didn't they? Like it was scary. Yeah, I mean, but even last season, you know, like last season when they were in the transfer, uh, the dealings they made in the transfer market, I, I just didn't think it was enough. I didn't think they'd brought enough quality in. And that's why I think the big reason why they struggled all season. This season, um, I, just, I just felt that, how far we into it was it? Um, it was probably about two weeks before the start of the season. So, obviously, um, Barkley hadn't gone there. Um, I think, has there been any other... That's Sorry? What, Watkins or Martinez probably weren't there that early on. Martinez wasn't there. Uh, Watkins, possibly not as well. Then Watkins, I still probably would have thought they'll go down. Because Watkins, listen, he did very well in the Championship. And, and look, Patrick Bamford showing you, just because you do well in the Championship... Um, well, because you do well in the championship, can also can also mean that you can lift and go to that stage. And so far, uh, Patrick Bamford's done really, really well. Though, uh, saying that, is he going to be another Timo Buki? Uh, yeah. Yep. So, so you know, but the early signs are very positive, and Patrick Bamford um, has done incredibly well. You've got to give him credit; it's been brilliant. And interesting enough, after the game, I listened to his interview post match. And the, 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 the journalist was asking the question along the lines of, um, you know, you, you've had a record in the championship, uh, but your record of the Premier League is up until this point not being great. And he said, well, I don't include those, those first 20 or 30 games in, in, in the uh, Premier League because he goes, I, most of them I didn't start from the off. Most of them were like five minutes here, 10 minutes here as a substitute. Um, and the biggest difference is I'm at a club where the manager really believes in me. Mm. He goes, I also know that I have to put in a lot of work. And I think that's the key. So he's got a manager that really believes in him. The reason the manager believes in him is because he's put all the work in. I think something's clicked. I think he's, the, the penny's dropped. He's realised. Because one of the criticisms that had been kind of pointed in his direction uh, a lot over the last couple of years is where he's gone, he's struggled to settle in. So it can't always be the manager. 
It's got to be him. He's got to look at himself. I think he's looked at himself. I think he's realised that, you know what? The only person that can make this happen is me. I need to stop relying on everyone else. I've got to make it almost impossible for them not to pick me by working hard, putting in performances, and that is certainly paying dividends. In turn, because he's working hard, because he's putting in the graft and, and delivering, of course the manager's going to believe him and the manager's going to stick with him. The manager's going to play. That goes without saying. So it's as it's, it's ruthless as that. You've got to perform each week. And at the moment, he's certainly doing that. And he also, let's not forget, managed to, to push Eddie and Kettier out of a side to the side that he had to go back to Arsenal. You know, and this is a guy who can start games for the Gunners. So he's a, he's a seriously talented footballer, but Bielsa still had the confidence in Bamford to play him, which I think must go so far. Yeah, he has. And I, and I think, again, I'll go back to it. I think Bamford himself has changed dramatically. I think his attitude's changed. I think his commitment's changed a lot. And that's why he's been so successful. It doesn't just happen through luck. It happens because of hard work, determination, and a change of attitude. And there's no doubt to me that he's... I, listen, I, I know him a little bit. And the attitude that I got from him was... I, I never thought that was a concern. I heard other stories that maybe he had some outside influence. He was maybe relying too much on other, other people, giving him, giving him certain sort of, sorts of information that probably was, were not befitting to his performances um, and that he had to earn the right firstly to, to be respected, to be believed in, um, and he needed to work harder. And I think that's all happening at least. Let's get stuck into West Ham versus Man City. Now, if this game was a coffee, Mark, I think it would be flat white. It was, it was so flat. It was right. just, oh, it, was, it was tough to watch in the sense that it was my first time ever seeing City in the flesh. Yep. So I was very excited about that. But for a team with so many superstars on the field, on the bench, we saw De Bruyne come on. I couldn't believe how unimaginative it almost, they almost came across. I mean, City haven't got a big injury list, right? Yep. So... Laporte, uh, Ake, now Aguero, Jesus is on that. Um, there's, there's a couple of others I can't think of them right now, top of my head. But if any team can handle a lot of injuries, it's Manchester City. Mm-hmm. And in the past, they've had Aguero out, they've had Jesus out, they've played for false nine and they've won games. I, I, I think um, it's a lot to do with Pep Guardiola himself. Of course, he's the manager. And everyone would say, yeah, of course. Well, that's, that's not rocket science. But the reason I believe that is that when he was at Barcelona, he stayed for three years as the head coach, then left. When he was at Bayern, he stayed for three years and then left. And he was asked about it. And he said, because I believe the players need a break from me, they need a change. I need a change. I need a change. To, I, need a, I, need a, I need to have time to recharge my batteries and a fresh challenge. He's, he's broken the mould going to Manchester City and is staying beyond that time. And I think last season and this season, even more so, so far, particularly, obviously there's a lot of games to be played. For me, that looks pretty evident. That players look, yes, they look physically tired. And that goes without saying because they've had a lot of games, international breaks, trying to jam in so many games. They've had a limited break. But they've also, they look mentally tired. And that comes down to, yes, playing a lot of games, but also the way, the demands that are put on you by the manager. And there's, there's lots of managers who, who have, or 
there's quite a lot of managers that, that have that reputation of being so intense, so demanding on their players that play you, you get you get worn out, and you, you need a change, or the club needs to change the manager. So I'm not saying Pep has to go right now, no, but I think City have got a very interesting situation coming up because I think either they have to do a massive rebuild in the summer, change of face personnel, or they have to change at the top. So whether or not they're prepared to spend a lot of money, um, obviously get players out and bring players in, um, or they, they, they change the, the narrative from the top in terms of the manager. And he's out of contract, he's not committing, the club's not committed yet. So it'd be interesting to see what they decide on. And obviously that'll all come down to performance and what happens in this, in, over the course of this, uh, of this season or the next couple of months in particular. That would not be a little bit of a criticism to him as a person, though, because there's been there's so many managers who stay longer than three years at a club and are very yeah. successful at doing so. Yeah, but, but they're a different type of management. So they, I think they, there are managers like Sir Alex Ferguson. Firstly, if you look at uh, Manchester United, I think he got the balance all, most of the time right in terms of the, the, t- the new signings and turnover of some players. But I think he also had the balance right from my understanding of when to go hard and when to ease off yeah. on players. I, I, I think managers like Jose, Pep, Jurgen Klopp, I don't think they know how to, to drop off a little bit. They, 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 they try it and they do it for a little bit and I think they're, they're, it's within them. It's in their, their, their DNA. It's within their, their personality that they have to be so full on and they're emotional and they allow, they just give everything. Mm-hmm. And, and, and at the same token, that's also one of the reasons why they're being so successful mm-hmm. because they've demanded so much, they've given so much, but they also demand so much from the people around them, the players. Man United versus Chelsea, Mark. Now we'll move away from my coffee analogy. We'll head back to red wine. If this game was a red wine, this is like, or just a wine, it's a box of goon that you've then tried to de- decant, you know, try and bring the best out of it but then you've forgotten that you've decanted it and you've left it for a week and then you have it and it's, it's corked and it's off and it's horrible. Well, I, I think it was a goon mixed with water. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. That was watered down even more. Let's not forget, though, you are the man who has sometimes Fanta in his wine and you reckon it's what everyone does in Spain and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But it could be a bit like that too. So I wouldn't discount water, water in January. Lemon-flavoured Fanta. <laughs> and don't knock it until you try it. Sorry, lemon-flavoured Fanta. You have to try it when it's really, really hot. Right. Uh, the, 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 the temperature outside, obviously, not the yeah. wine. Um, and this is really cold and it is, you, you will be, you'll be a fan, I'm telling you. That reminds me, though, it's almost um, mulled wine time, time of the year. It is. That's going to be exciting. How good is drinking mulled wine? The best. Is maybe well, not the best. Well because being a bottle of red wine is the best. Yeah, but you could still have a bottle of bottle of mulled wine. There you mulled go. Wine spiced up and everything else. It yeah. is delicious. Yeah. But is it the best? It's the best it's the best to drink when you're outside in the yep. cold, all wrapped up. Yep. And there's a mulled wine stall. And also on top of that, got a couple of bright washed. Yeah. Yep. Bag of chestnuts maybe. Ooh. Oh. Unfortunately, it's going to be possible this winter. Right, Omar, come on. No, we're trying to be positive over here. But we're getting distracted. This is how easily it can happen. Man U, Chelsea. 
what did you make of it? It was, it was pretty flat. It was. Um, I thought, you know, from a... Okay, so firstly, from a Manchester United perspective, it was a very disappointing result. The performance itself, I thought they were okay. Um, yeah, they weren't, they weren't as... They, were, they definitely weren't as clinical. But then, um, you know, when you look at uh, Mendy and goal for Chelsea, I thought he was, was very, very good. Um, on another almost day, kicked a goal. <laughs> well, he almost scored a goal, yes, you're right. Um, but taking that out, out of it, everything else he did, I thought, was very, very good. Made some very crucial saves, some very good saves. And I think, you know, on another day, Manchester United may have scored a goal, right? But then on, the other day, on another day, Chelsea should have had a penalty. Um, well, even on the weekend, they should have had a penalty. I mean, that's unfortunately... Don't want to go into it in too much depth, but that's where VAR lets itself down massively. That was a penalty. End of. Um, so for Manchester United, their home record has been really, really poor lately, the worst in, in donkey's years. Um, they're a side that I think is worrying times at the moment. You know, you've got a Paul Pogba who's not performing again. You've got a, a, you know, you've got a, a Dutch international on the bench that you've newly signed and say that he's not to not to the physical uh, strength to, to play in the Premier League at the moment. Well, the way you actually build it up is at least give him some game time, play him in some of the games at least. Um, you know, so I think there's a lot, a lot of issues going on at Manchester United. And I don't, I'm going to say it, Manchester United fans are not going to be happy. I, I said it a while ago. I said it actually in the first year, first season they signed on Oli as the manager. I don't think he's up to the job at that level for what Manchester United are, are demanding their fans in the club. I would have to say that a lot of Man United fans probably wouldn't hate that. I think they'd probably agree with you. Wouldn't yeah. They? But, but I've said it for a long, long time. Yeah. You know, when he first took over as caretaker manager, I mean, it was an incredible run he went on. And the, the club themselves said, we're not going to make a decision until the end of the season. And then there was this, this wave of pressure that came about because he did, did so well that they've got to give him a contract. And then I'm giving the contract and he goes on this horrendous run. And the honeymoon period was over with. And listen, he steadied the ship and last season still finished in the Champions League position. And I think he did a really, really job, really good job in doing so. Bruno Fernandes was a, was a phenomenal signing. This season is a little bit different, you know. And, and we'll see how the next couple of months uh, evolve. But at the moment, it's definitely concerning for a Manchester United fan. On the flip side, Chelsea. Um, listen, negative in a lot of ways. Not, not, not what you expect from a team that spent two hundred fifty million pounds, particularly on mostly on, on attacking uh, players. Um, but it's a process. Chelsea tried to go the whole attacking route and win games and win it by high scores and everything else, outscore the opposition, and it's been backfiring. So they, they've had to readjust, and they've done it in a really, really dramatic way. So the last two games, they've hardly, they've had six shots at goal, hardly a shot that really troubled any of the goalkeepers in, in, in Sevilla and, and obviously De Gea. Um, so uh, I can see what they're doing. You know, building that, that momentum, that, that belief that defensively they can be strong, defend well as a team, and then they've got to, loop, they've got to start to adjust it and become a little bit more adventurous going forward. Now, there's one thing we desperately need to talk about with Chelsea, Mark. Since our last episode, there's been a recent acquisition at the club. In some respects, a rejigging. Your man, your best friend, your best man at your wedding, 
Panacek. <laughs> he's, I mean, what, what has he technically done? Is he techni- I suppose he's technically now out of retirement. And is he, what would he be? Is he fourth, fourth choice keeper? Or is he just hanging around in case something happens? Or what, what's the guy? Fill yeah. in the blanks. I think he's number four at the moment. And, and it's more to do with the fact that he's not, he's not, he's, he's training, he's doing all that sort of stuff, but he's not actively looking to play in that team. Because, you know, and, and the thing is, I, I spoke to him um, two weeks ago and he was talking, we were talking all about lots of different things, talking about Mendy as a goalkeeper, Kepa, um, and himself training. And he just was saying that he felt so good. He felt that, he said to me that, had he known that having time off, he would feel so good, he would have only had six months off and wouldn't have retired. Mm. And he, he actually believes he's fit enough and strong enough and good enough still to play in the Premier League. So it's an interesting one because he's caught in two, two, two sort of jobs at the moment. And at the moment, Chelsea is obviously there as, as a sporting director, head of high performance. Um, and, and that's his number one role. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if an opportunity came along that was of interest to him. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Pinochet coming back out of retirement and playing somewhere. Elsewhere. So you're saying not just appear randomly in a Carabao Cup game for Chelsea. You think maybe... Yes. Ooh. Yes, I wouldn't be surprised. Jeepers. I mean, that wouldn't be a shock to me at all. So... I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it would not be a shock to me if that happened. Where, where's um, his level, do you think, then, in that case, if he was to come back? From my understanding, he was better than, than the Chelsea keepers. I mean, this was before Mendy arrived at the club. He was performing and training better than the Chelsea keepers. Hmm. So, by rights, on that, he, he's number two, but he's not. Because he hasn't played, he hasn't played games. He, I know he's kicking the ball further than he than he did towards the end of his career because these injuries, these problems that he had with his with his ankle and various parts, his calf, and that they were hindering his his, his kicking game. So apparently he, ha- he has no problems with that anymore at all. He's kicking the ball as far as he did, all from six he- months off or oh, a year off. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So he's been working hard. He's been playing ice hockey in goal. Uh, or goal in, in goal for ice, playing ice hockey. He's been doing lots of other fitness um, stuff, keeping very, very fit, doing lots of gym work. And he is, now you see, in the last couple of weeks, he's been training with Chelsea on the football pitch. So what goes on there? Do they have to rejig his contract? Or... I don't think so. I think he's on a non-playing, he's on a non-contractual uh, contract, non, non-paying contract, I think, because he's been paid to do the sporting director role. Yeah, I think that might all change. That if he had to play, yeah, then it becomes a pay-by-play kind Possibly. of contract. Yeah, fascinating. So then, okay, if if Mendy's injured for a cup game, uh, do you start Kepper or do you start Check? I think he has to play Kepper because if he doesn't, it'll 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 kill him. Yeah, and you know they've got to seriously consider the. The financial investment in him, what do they do with him if they don't play him and then all of a sudden he becomes number two or number three, sorry, behind Petr 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. That is pretty low. Mm. And I'm, I'm, that's no disrespectful to Petacek. That's just, I mean, you know, the guys should be at his prime, hasn't performed that great. And it just shows you that he, although definitively his career is finished and done with at Chelsea, it may well all be, already be. And Chelsea may decide, you know what, it is already. So we'll do what we're going to do and we're going to pick the best team. Um, but I think at this stage, I think they'll still play Kepa. How good. I'd love it. I'd also love John Terry to come back. Maybe they just do a resurgence, a one-year only. The, the return, how good would that be? Yeah. Everyone just came back. Well, you never know. Listen, Aston Villa may struggle uh, this season with, with injuries in the centre-half. Totally. You might see him sitting on the bench again. Won't be long, I promise. Back to Ollie and Mark in just 15 seconds. If you enjoy Two Sharp Reds, though, make sure you search The Gig and Pod wherever you get your podcasts. David Weiner is joined by thousands of games of experience both on and off the field. It's a great listen. G-E-G-E-N-P-O-D, The Gig and Pod. Okay, back to Two Sharp Reds. Halftime drinks here on the Two Sharp Reds. And Mark, normally we do a Fulham relegation update, which you're more than welcome to do. But I think we need to do something positive because we've had an anniversary in the last seven days, haven't we? Uh, we 12 have. months uh, of Two Sharp Reds. Congratulations. That's uh, what, a, what a little milestone for our little podcast. Yeah, it's been, it's been a journey, hasn't it? All it this stuff, you know, what, 2018, the, 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 whole, the whole idea of starting up the Two Sharp Reds podcast had begun. And it all started, of course, over many bowls of red wine at yeah. the Women's World Cup. 12 months ago. And also, funnily enough, 12 months ago since uh, Southampton lost 9-0 to Leicester. Yes. That's right. As so, yesterday. So, I mean, that doesn't feel like a year ago. No way. It doesn't. Um, that's been good going, hasn't it? I've enjoyed it. It's been fun. I mean, you, you've got longer hair. You've got a moustache. Yeah, I've uh, grown up. Yep. You haven't gone the perm like you said you were going to go the perm. No, but, you know. Disappointing, really. You can't have everything. I think I've done pretty well. You've yeah. had to- Different, you know, you had some highlights put through your hair. Yeah, you've grown your hair, which was, you know, you know, I've that was a, a little bit. Yeah, I'm trying to get the comb over going. Get the Ray Fines look. Yeah, yeah, you know, nothing wrong with that. Um, you've, you've run a lot in the last twelve months. Yeah, I've run a lot more than, than I ever used to do. Um, spent a lot of time in Spain, which was beautiful. Yeah, yeah, I've yeah. spent a lot of times in in my, you know, in my lounge room in Peckham, which has been, it's been, you know, it's, it's been. So yeah. Here's yeah. to 2020, I say. Yeah. Let's hope, uh, let's well, just get 2020 over and done with it. Oh, 2021, you... hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. I mean, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Hopefully, that gets brighter and brighter as every day goes by in 2021. In Melbourne, maybe there's some light at the end of the tunnel. I don't see any light over this part of the world. Oh, you know, vaccines and everything else. and Vaccines. And possibly dealing with the virus and hopefully learn to live with it. And hopefully um, we can move forward and get the whole world back on track again. Mark Schwartz, uh, mayoral candidate for South London. (laughs) (laughs) 
So, Mark, Arsenal-Leicester, I uh, want to keep this short and sweet for obvious reasons. I uh, don't want to go too much into it. But Leicester played their game plan phenomenally well. They did never recognise striker until Vardy came on board and did what he does against Arsenal so many times. Uh, but the, the story was the disallowed goal for the Gunners in the opening five minutes, claiming that, uh, that Granite Shacker was offside and impeding the view of Schmeichel. Uh, I don't understand it. I don't think a lot of people understood it. Where or what were your instincts when you watched it? Well, he's not impeding his view. So when when the when the corner's taken, Grant Jack is obviously right on Schmeichel, and there's a bit of argy bargy going, there's a bit of a nudging going on. Not not a lot, but a little bit, right? So he doesn't move away from Schmeichel. When the flick on happens, he's no longer impeding the view. What he's doing though, he's in the space of Casper Schmeichel. So. Even though Schmeichel actually doesn't really go for it, I think one of the reasons he doesn't go for it is because when the flick happens and Schmeichel reacts and starts to turn a little bit, he can see someone right next to him. So he's actually not able to even dive for it because he's, 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 his angle where he's going to dive is impeded. So I actually think the referee got it right. I, in my personal opinion... He's got no chance of actually even saving it because Jack is right there in the line of the ball. And he jumps out of the, he jumps out of the way of the ball and he's right next to Casper Schmeichel. So I, I, I fully understand why the referee's given no goal. So it's not necessarily about the view. It's not no, no, on that occasion, it's not the view, no. Because right. he's in the space of Casper of and he can't dive to the ball. And, and he's, when, I, when I've seen it, his initial reaction is he's like he's going to go, but he doesn't go because he feels he sees someone there. And I think he even thinks that maybe it's his teammate. But it's not, obviously. It's Granit Xhaka, and Granit Xhaka just jumps out of the way and it's in the back of the net. Right. So I'm, I'm totally happy with that decision. I think it's the right decision. So we can put a, put a line through that one on the running order? Yeah, I think you're, I think you're, you know, you're scraping the barrel, mate. Oh, I don't know about scraping the barrel. Because Arsenal lost, right? And they, they fluffed any chance. They, they weren't good enough. They, Aubameyang was poor. Lacazette was poor. Um, got done on a county. Got done by a player that loves and does score all the time against you and you still don't sort it out. Yeah. Speaking of the great man, did you see his shin pads uh, when he was warming up? He's got the chat shit get banged on his shin pads. Yes, I have seen that before. He had it, he had it back then in the day when I, when I was there. Had them done up. Um, but yeah, he's listen. He, he's classy a, guy. Yeah, classy guy. No, yeah, gosh. Well, that's one thing I don't think really gets associated with Jamie Vardy ever in the discussion <laughs> that he's a classy guy. Um, what he is, he's a fighter. He's a, never gives up. Um, loves proving the, proving the critics wrong. And the fact that he didn't join the Gunners back then in the day when he, when he had the opportunity to, I thought personally it was the wrong decision. I thought he should have gone. Um, but you know what? Who am I to say that? I mean, Leicester arguably have been more successful than Arsenal over the last couple of years. They absolutely um, have. Yeah, arguably, they have been. Yep. Um, even though Arsenal have won a couple of FA Cups. But, would... but, yeah. but, 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 but Premier League titles supersedes those two FA Cups all day long. Having said that, though, his option was to go after they had won the Premier League. So after then, they haven't been as successful as Arsenal, you'd say. Yeah, so uh, 17 onwards. Yeah, no, yes and no. No, no, yes. Uh, yeah, uh, with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the quarterfinals of the, the Champions League that next season. Yeah. The furthest any English team did that season. Yep. 
Yeah. Um, yes, domestically they didn't have a particularly great season, uh, but they got to the quarterfinals of the Champions League. Um, oh, mate, I, yeah, listen, winning trophies is always better. So, post Premier League title, once he decides to stay, yes, Arsenal still probably yes, Arsenal had some more success because they won two FA Cup trophies. However, it's tight, isn't it? It's tight. Uh, Mark, it's one of my favourite weeks as well because it's a European week. That's what we live for uh, as uh, football fans. Um, Champions League in particular, of course, Europa League as well, where both Arsenal and Leicester have found themselves, sort of equal playing field there. Um, Let's talk about the Champions League, uh, in particular Liverpool taking on Awama Bill. How good. Big, big, big for the Aussie. Yeah, this is a huge, huge occasion for him. You know, what what a year he's had, you know, like, I mean, his life has been turbulent, obviously, the tragic news of his, of his sister dying in a car accident, which which was horrendous, must have been horrendous, um, to to now, you know, being on the European stage. Um, obviously, they had, a, they, had a, they had a really, really tough initiation against Atalanta last week, and it's only going to get more difficult at Anfield. And whatever whatever Liverpool team they put out there, Jurgen Klopp. And, and I envisage he may may rotate his team a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's got to be cautious. You know, he wants to make sure they pick up another three points because if they do that, they're six points from two games, which obviously is the perfect start. And I'll just alleviate a little bit more pressure. Um, yeah, I, I fear for the bill. And hopefully he's playing. I know he didn't play on the weekend. His side, uh, massive result away to Bromby, came back from 2 0 down to win the game 3 2. Huge. But Mabil wasn't, um, wasn't in the match day squad, didn't partake in that game whatsoever. So hopefully there's nothing else to it. Hopefully he's just rested and hopefully he's fit and raring to go and in the lineup to play against Liverpool. For the Socceroos' point of view, what do you think is better? I mean, the gut says obviously we would prefer to have all of our you know, Socceroos playing at in the highest leagues, you know, that's sort of a, a given. But the fact that he's able to play in the Champions League, you know, as opposed to if he was just sort of floating around League One or, you know, just, you know, sort of doing his bits and pieces in Scotland, for example. But, like, the fact he's in Champions League football, that's, that's pretty good for Socceroos to, you know, to, to have that experience. It's brilliant. No, no definitely. You know, um, I think, you, you know, you want players playing at the highest level, of course. But... They're only going to play where, where there's opportunity for them to play. This is just a great platform for Mobile to, to hopefully play well and be seen by other clubs and then maybe make that next step up if, if, if he does well enough. And, and this is a huge opportunity for him. Um, the fact that he's in Europe, he's playing in the European League, he's playing in a, in a, in a, in a, in a good league, you know, like a, a Scandinavian, Scandinavian League are competitive. They've always got teams in European competition. And that exposure is enormous. And, and the, the ability then for them to learn from it is huge. Um, play well in the Champions League. Oh, I think doors will open up. There's no, word, no, no two words about it. So hopefully that happens for them. Um, but it's a tough group, isn't it? Oh, Liverpool, Ajax, Atalanta. Um, but also Chelsea taking on FK Krasnodar. Now, is it a pretty straightforward decision for you? Who are we starting, Mendy or Kepa? Oh, it has to play uh, Mendy for me. And, and I would be surprised. I'd be a little bit surprised if he were not to continue with that three, the, 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 that, that little triangle they've got going now. So Kurt Zuma, um, Thiago Silva and Mendy. 
They've, they've played together three times and had three clean sheets. So the only thing is whether Thiago Silva, whether he wants to risk him in playing him, you know, be three games, three games in a week. And that's the only concern I see. Um, but I think, I think if he can, then I would think he'd be looking to play the three of them together again. Mm, I like it. Yeah, because as, as we touched on with the Chelsea game as well, Mendy was pretty good, wasn't he? He certainly get a bit of... No, I thought, I, I, thought he, warm. Yeah, I thought he did really well against, against Man United. Um, I thought he was very, very good. Made some very key saves. And when I say that, <clears throat> when I say that it's a case of, I suppose we exaggerated a little bit because Kepa had such a bad time. And you know, even one of the commentators I was watching on TV over here said that that's a great save from Mendy with his feet. If Kepa were in goal, they would score. I mean that's pretty pretty poor. I thought from Matt, from the from the commentator to say that to name Kepper rather than to say that previously, you know, previously Chelsea considered in a similar situation as opposed to being that blunt. He wasn't wrong though. In fairness, I know, but I I just thought it was a bit. I, I thought it was a bit much. I thought personally, but you know that's the way it is, and it is, it is true. Um, so yeah, so it's just good to see that Chelsea have got a goalkeeper again at the moment who is playing really well, mm. kept two clean sheets in his first two Premier League games, first goalkeeper, Chelsea goalkeeper to do that since Petacek. So in 2004. So hopefully the signs are there for his, it to continue. His new number two. <laughs> Look yes. <out. laughs> Uh, and it's all happening, of course, in the world of all things Manchester as well. Marseille, they take on Man City and Man U take on Leipzig. And I'm looking at that game and I'm thinking, Mark, that's, that's the one. Man United-Leipzig could be electric, we hope. Yeah, I think it'll be a good game because uh, Leipzig have got a few players back. Uh, Konete, the big centre-half, is back from, from an injury. I thought if he played, he was on the bench on the weekend, he came on. If he comes on, if he plays alongside the Meccano, I think it's a formidable back two. Um, and if you've got uh, Sabitzer, Marcel Sabitzer has come back from injury as well. So he came on on the weekend and he scored the winning goal from the penalty spot um, against Alta Berlin. So again, he's a big player for him. If he, if he starts, which I think he will, I think Leipzig are looking good. Um, they've, they've, uh, they've adapted pretty well since the loss of, of Timo Werner. And uh, you've got other players who have come into the, to the, to the fore. Uh, Yusuf Paulson, who didn't start on the weekend, uh, came on the week before against Augsburg. If you haven't seen the goal, you've got to see it. Phenomenal really? goal. It's Van Basten, Van Basten-esque. Uh, but just from the other side, his left foot. Maybe the, the angle wasn't as acute, but it's a phenomenal, phenomenal volley. Um, kind of half of his back to goal. Uh, sort of running away down down to the byline. Phenomenal. You've got to see it. Brilliant goal. Um, so, yeah, he's a player that's been there since the third division and he's a player that I'll, I'll rely on heavily. And speaking of Manchester United, um, we should mention uh, and say a big congratulations to all the work that Marcus Rashford's been doing with his um, meal, free meals for kids. And just watching, I've been keeping an eye on his social media and, and he you know uses the pin drop to where you can find you know clubs that have either joined in or, or you know, businesses that are getting involved and where you can find the the meals. But we always mention, you know, you know, one of my clubs that I love, Crew. You know, Crew, you know, don't have a lot of money as a club. They really don't. But they're getting involved and they've got 200 free meals a day now. 
a day, yeah. you know, in COVID times. And you just go, it's wow. An incredible gesture. It's an incredible initiative um, from all the people who were involved in it. And it all began because of Michael Rashford's involvement and his, and his, his genuine interest, his de- genuine desire to help out. Um, and it's phenomenal. Um, I mean, and, and the fact that he's backing up on the football pitch is, is just a credit to him and how much how mature he is. Um, yeah. And uh, he's, you know, he, he's going against the grain, you know, he's, he's challenging Parliament, but he's doing it in a very, very clever, elegant way. Mm. He's, he's pleading with him, he's, he's um, and then by not getting the response or the desired effect, he's, he's then taking matters into his own hand. And the other thing is that in these times when it's very tra- trying and testing for everyone, there are people out there, there are communities out there, there are organisations out there that are prepared to dig into their own pockets and help out, which is absolutely sensational. Yeah, he's, he's, he's great, isn't he? And, and in particular, do you remember a few weeks ago, I was pretty honest and had a bit of a crack at the England squad and said it's probably the most unlikable it's been for a long time, just in terms of there's been a lot of off-field dramas and sagas and rumours. And, and then it's just refreshing to have a young guy for England and Man United that's, that's, that's the definition of, you know, like a pin-up guy for, for so many kids now. Like all of a sudden you've got this guy, as you said, performing on the pitch, he's young. But he's just switched on and with it and understands the greater good. And it's just like, how refreshing. It's what Premier League need, what Man United need, and what the England's FA need, really. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, what it's doing is it's shedding a different light on footballers because generally the, the reputation of footballers, particularly off the field, isn't the best. Particularly when, when it's always when there's a minority. And people, people don't really ever sing people's praises when, when, when there are individuals who do wonderful mm-hmm. things. Juan Mato is another one who, who's done incredible things for charity, um, set up his own charity. And uh, most footballers and clubs have been involved in it and are involved in it. Um, so whenever a player does things like this, it's, it's, it's pretty special. And the fact is that everybody's talking about it. So I was listening to uh, a radio station on the weekend, which is, which is LBC, so, um, you know, London Broadcasting. Um, and it's, and it's a political, generally political um, um, radio station. And, and I think I listened to it for about four hours straight in one direction uh, and then in the, in the afternoon and then in the evening later on, I was, I was coming back from Manchester. And every one of the presenters talked about Marcus Rashford and the yeah. initiative. And there were, there were a number of them who said, listen, I'll hold my hand up. Before this, I didn't have a clue who Marcus Rashford is. But I don't care. What he's doing is phenomenal, you know, and the way he's doing it is phenomenal. Yeah, I love it when footballers get involved with charity. For example, you do this show with me. You know, well, you know, someone has to do it, and yeah. uh, I suppose I was one on very low on the list that finally accepted uh, this yeah. this opportunity to do yeah. some work for charity on your behalf. Yeah, I asked a few. Czech said no. Martinez, he said no. Starts on my favourite goalkeepers. Spider. You went back to Martinez about five times, didn't you? Yeah, I still knock on his door. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. well, it's his door in London, and obviously he's based in Birmingham. Uh, Mark, um, we'll get to your, to your outro very soon, but we have sort of we're coming to the end of the, the episode now where we, we generally like to compare our wine to a player past or present. I, in spirit and celebration of the great state of Victoria, uh, in the words of Dan Andrews there, um, uh, MP, I am giving something higher up the shelf. 
Yep. Uh, and I've gone for the Rufus Stone Heathcotts, a deep rich red to crimson in colour, indicating the intensity of the wine. There's so many beautiful aspects to this, but would you like to go first or would you like me to go first? I kind of gave mine away earlier on in the show, didn't I, really? Let's be honest. Um, With the elegance? Yeah, the elegance, right, long finish. Same old stuff, you know. It's... Um, and it's the man of the moment, really. Has to be the man of the moment. I've played with him, uh, trained with him more than I played with him. Um, you know, he's a good young guy, um, and, and it's great to see him doing so well. Listening to him uh, speaking after the game on the weekend, he speaks well. Uh, he conducts himself well. He seems humble, and he seems to have really grasped the opportunity. Grasped the opportunity that's now been in front of him because I think I'm the, in the past. I think he was a little bit, um, uh, I think he was guilty of, of taking, taking the opportunities for granted, almost expecting things to be laid out in front of him. But what he's doing now is he's been elegant, the way he speaks to the media. He's been elegant in his performances, those two goals, the, last, the second and third goal against Aston Villa were incredibly elegant, wonderful goals. And uh, he's maturing, um, even in his young Years, very good. So, for my my bottle, my bottle of Cabali, uh, 2017. It's very much should be a 2020 in Patrick Bamford. Yeah, good. I, I particularly liked your face when you when you kind of accidentally said maturing. Like, I don't think you you totally planned on saying no, that. No, 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 and no. You no, thought no. Hagwood's this this is. I was just making sure that you were paying attention. AI, Mark, as if. There's no way. You were stoked when you said that. Uh, yeah. So I've got... <laughs> had it in the bag. I've got my notes. Look. Yeah. my notes. Look, they're all there. Look at the note, mate. That's a napkin. You've just... <laughs> my notes. That's like back in school. Show you're working. Oh, I cheated. So... <laughs> uh, as I said, I've gone for the Rufus Stone Heathcote. Now, there's several words in this explanation, Mark, that I want you to just remember because there's maybe four or five key words and these are the words that make up my player. We've okay. got deep rich to crimson in colour, indicating the intensity of this wine. The nose is full of ripe plum and dark cherries with a hint of white pepper and sweet vanillion. The flavours carry onto the palate, which is full of big soft fruit, but balanced by an elegant oak structure, natural acid resulting in a rich wine with a complex and fresh structure. Right, so I'm not sure if you could tell which words I was sort of getting at there. Um, it was pretty, you know, discreet. Can you read it again, you read it again so I can write, take notes? Yep, yeah. well, I'll read, the, I'll read the words. Complex, structured, intense, pepper, and I don't think there was any more. They were the... What do you say? It's pepper. <laughs> not, not white pepper, white pepper. Uh, so... This man is one of the most complex individuals. I mean, I've never met him. I don't think you've met him. You might have. Uh, But he comes across complex. So maybe it's part of his aura. Maybe not. But he definitely comes across like that. Um, But he comes across more intense than complex. It's his intensity, I would say, is probably the one. Intense on the field in terms of never lets up, but intense as a personality is, whether it be to journos, whether it be to opposition, when they ask to swap shirts or to even fans who might be a bit cheeky, he is intense. The word pepper comes to mind with peppering. I like saying when someone peppers, obviously that, you know, you're 
kind of sprinkling all over. He's been able to pepper goals uh, around the world. He's peppered the whole world with goals. Um, so whether it be in all directions of Europe, but also outside of the continent, which I think is is a, a really big a big thing uh, when it comes to peppering. Um, but the word structure, he plays perfectly to a structure because he's able to just fit in under any structure. And I really like that about someone. I think someone who can play to a structure doesn't have to play to one structure. They can be, you know, whether it be a new manager, new club, they can fit in. Uh, so by that, oh, and they mention a nose uh, as well, deep in the nose. Uh, and with that, I'm going to have to go with, or do you have any clues before I say? No, no clue, man. Zlatan. Oh, what do you wow. think? Pretty complex, intense, peppered goals wherever he's gone across from either Sweden yeah. to England yeah. to, you know, Italy to France to America. The thing uh, is, you just don't see, seem too convincing in it because you kind of just went to me. No. Like, <laughs> you were like asking me if that was all right. Like, no, I was saying it like, Zaza. Like, come on. No, mate, you go with it, man. That's your I've gone, I'm riding it all the way. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I was expecting something else, something better than that. I mean... Oh, says you, elegant. <laughs> uh, I don't know, Marcus Rashford. I mean, that would have made more sense. There you go. Marcus Rashford, he was way more elegant than Patrick uh, Absolutely, would have been, you know. Yeah. yeah. But he's yeah. not complex, I don't think. No, true. No, no, I'm <laughs> talking about your wine. My wine? Yeah. What? I didn't, say, I didn't say Marcus Rashford, did I? No, I know. I'm saying you shouldn't. Because you you're having a go at me and yours was oh, elegant. Well, I, didn't, I didn't do it because it was so so obvious Too to obvious. go Marcus Rashford. Right, okay. Yeah, that's why I didn't do it. Okay, right on. Jeez, all right. Well, take right. your anger out on this outro. Come on, get it out well, of your system. I, I, I was, there, was a, there was a lot of explanation going on there about your wine, about your yep. player, combination... And listen, you may be right, you may be not. I mean, I don't know the guy. He does come across, I don't know if he comes across complex. Definitely comes across as... Uh, Plenty of mood swings, though. Mood swings, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely a personality, of course. Um, set of attention, yeah. All right, fair enough. I'll give it to you for now. <laughs> well, with that in mind, um, busy week ahead. Obviously, podcast done and dusted. Tick that one off the... the the list again, I'm off to Liverpool tomorrow for Liverpool against uh, Mitterland. And then I'm in, in Manchester on Wednesday for Manchester United against RB Leipzig. So very much looking forward to that one. Lots to talk about next week, I'm sure. And of course, we've got full fixtures of Premier League after that. I've got my yep. Bundesliga football to do some on the weekend as well. And I'll be seeing you at a ground next weekend, I'm sure. Yes. You'll be playing a show uh, with Optus. Uh, count down a kick up, kick off. Yeah, so very much looking forward to that, and um, it's been fun. It's been great, and I mean, listen, we're getting used to doing this from afar, aren't we? Yeah, I don't almost want to. You know, do you know what I mean? It's quite good. Oh, you I don't want it. to? Oh. I, I do, but it's just it's quite good, isn't it? Oh, okay. Oh, oh no, I've ruined his week. If I know Mark, and I think I do, that's about it. Mark, sorry, mate. Cheers to you. Cheers to us, cheers to the podcast, and happy anniversary. Come on, don't let this put a blemish on, on what's been a beautiful year. Come on. Come on. Cheers. Oh, doesn't even give me a cheers back! 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.